Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening. I'm glad you've tuned in to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, I'm joined in the studio by Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy, I had a listener request that you elaborate on Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. The verse says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is here advocating to the, um, the Philippians that they t- uh, take the salvation that they have in faith in Christ Jesus and then put that to work. But as you put your Christian faith to work, have this reverential awe that as you live, your life would not be a discredit to the gospel. The concept that Paul has there with fear and trembling, if people to trace those two words in Paul's writings, uh, you will discover that Generally, that particular expression uh, refers to a, a, a reverential fear and awe. For example, when Paul was among the Corinthians, he said, I was with, among you with fear and trembling. And that expression, Paul is saying that when he was there, he was um, living in such a way that uh, he had this healthy fear that anything he might do would bring disrepute to the gospel. Uh, and uh, so he had this reverential awe and fear uh, that his ministry among the Corinthians would be effective and he would do absolutely nothing that in any way would disparage the gospel. Thank you very much for that question. I trust that that was helpful to you. Our topic this evening is that of creation and evolution. I want to define a few terms before we get into the discussion tonight. First of all, microevolution, that would be a change within a species or a small group of organisms, especially over a short period of time. And an example of microevolution would be how bacteria evolves a resistance to certain antibiotics. Macroevolution would be the second topic, and that refers to a major change over time. The origin of new types of organisms from previously existing but different ancestral types. And an example of this would be when a evolutionist says that a fish evolved into a reptile. So macroevolution, when you hear evolution used in your everyday discussion, macroevolution is what's being referred to. And as we're referring to evolution tonight, we will be referring to macroevolution. There are two views on the origin of the universe. Uh, There's creation, which looks to a supernatural cause for beginning the universe. And then there is evolution, which looks to a process of natural causes. Uh, Nathan, let me just uh, say a few comments 
in regard to your introductory remarks. Uh, one is that no one questions that change occurs within a specific species, but the changes are within definite narrow limits that God has set. Um, for example, all variety of dogs are interfertile, but they're still dogs. So you, you don't change from a dog to another, different, another species, but within the dog kingdom, you've got all kinds of variety. Uh, Mendel's laws of heredity uh, provide variation on the basis of the working of genetic factors uh, that are present within the chromosome structure within each germ cell. But the reshuffling of genetic uh, factors are already present. That's not evolution. Uh, so we need to be aware that what we're talking about, we're talking about the transformation from one species to another. This is the myth of modern evolution. But uh, change within species clearly is uh, something that is perceivable and something that is scientifically verifiable. Can you tell us about the history or the origin of evolution? Uh, I think a lot of people are of the opinion that evolution um, started with uh, Charles Darwin. Uh, that is really, uh, again, a, a myth and, and a mistake. The idea of evolution uh, preceded Charles Darwin by centuries. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the Greeks, um, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Max Mander, uh, he taught that man had evolved from a fish. And there's another Greek uh, scientist by name, Epidocles, he taught that animals had been derived from plants. It is interesting that um, when you st study uh, this concept of evolution, uh, it is discovered that from very ancient times, there have always been the suggestion that insects or fish or animals uh, have come from mud or from slime or some inorganic medium. So it's not uh, evolution really didn't start with Darwin. What Darwin did is that he gave it a modern scientific uh, base and he, he modernized it, as it were, and prevented, uh, presented a rationale that scientists uh, got hold of and, and held to it. The, the idea of a special creator um, is unique to the Christian faith. And this is where, uh, by the way, um, it has been charged that uh, Israel uh, did not, um, was not mature enough, culturally mature enough, to conceive of some kind of evolutionary theory but the, the truth of the matter is that that was a common belief in ancient times. The, the, the belief of a personal God is something unique to Israel. So from the very beginning, then, the Bible has gone counter-culture in the context of the origins of the earth. Exactly. But the, the point, that again, is that a lot of scientists give the impression that uh, you know, the, the background to the Bible where God has used the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, the idea is that they were so backward— in intelligence that they had no concept of evolution. The truth of the matter is that was the predominant theory in ancient times. What was unique to Israel is this concept of a personal, eternal, cosmic God that created the whole universe. Let's talk a little bit about intelligent design. Is it possible, Pastor, to believe that there was an intelligent designer but not believe in a God? This is part of the whole... Uh, schizophrenia that has taken over the scientific world. Uh, the, the irrationality of it and the illogic of it baffles the, 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 the one's intelligence. How can you have uh, intelligence? How can you have information? How can you have uh, personality? 
and at the same time have a disbelief in some kind of a personal um, creator or, or personal God. Uh, how can non-life produce life? How can non-personality produce personality? How can that which cannot communicate create communication? So it's a, it's a real puzzle uh, how it can be logically conceived that you can recognize these things on a scientific basis, but yet hold to some kind of a, a impersonal substance or, or, or some kind of a random process that's brought about this whole miraculous complex world. It is just baffling. I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. That's the truth. We have a question that has come in from online. Creationists insist that nothing can come from nothing. Then what did God create the universe from? We we don't. Uh, I think you might have a slightly um, misunderstanding of what, what we, we teach. Uh, we teach that there was no existing material that God uh, was there before God created. That's what we teach. Uh, we believe that, that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing, that God spoke and the world uh, became what it is. What we are trying to avoid is any concept that there was something eternal before God was there. God is the only eternal being. Uh, uh, he existed and nothing existed before him. He created all that existed. So whatever has come to be into being, uh, the eternal God is the one that initiated uh, all that we see today, and we don't want to uh, make anyone believe that we think that God was coexistent with the material universe, and he created the uh, universe out of that which already existed. The Bible makes it clear that uh, God called into existence when that which is from that which was nothing. That is our position. And we do not believe that man has the capacity to, to create anything out of nothing because man is not God. Man is not omnipotent. So please don't confuse the, the matter and uh, have some clarity on it. Is there evidence for intelligent design? I, I, I am baffled that anybody could be a scientist and not see intelligent design. Um, I look myself in the mirror every day and I see intelligent design. I look at my hands, I look at my eyes, uh, I think of the the makeup of the ear, I think of the, the heart, the brain that there's no modern computer that can equal the ma man's brain. Um, I think of the discovery of the, uh, the, the genetic code in the DNA. Uh, the, uh, the bits of information that is already there is staggering and it comes in a particular order. Uh, and scientists are aware of this. This is why there's now a movement towards what is called intelligent design. But um, all over the universe, there is clear evidence that there is design, there is order. Um, there is something called the anthropic principle. I'm not too sure if the audience are familiar with it, basically. But what it states is that the universe is very, very fine-tuned. And it is very clear it was designed to support life for man. Uh, it is so delicately calibrated. And there are certain constants that must be there. Any slight deviation... Uh, would make it impossible uh, for man to live on planet Earth. If I might use one or two examples. For example, take the forces that govern the atom. Uh, the ratio between the electrons and the protons, not only in terms of number, but in mass. If that ratio was to deviate uh, more than 1 to 10 
the 37th, the 37th power, the universe as we know it could not exist. That's uh, 37 zeros. That's 37 zeros, right? One, one to th- uh, 10 37 zeros. Just that deviation alone between the, the forces, between the electrons and the protons and the mass of the protons and the electrons, we couldn't have a universe. I mean, it is that, that fine-tuned. Um, uh, take the, the matter of the, um, the gravitational pull between the... Um, we, we know we got electromagnetic force and we got gravitational force. That, too, has to be very, very, very fine-tuned. It's like 1 to 10 uh, to 50, 59 uh, above. If it varies in any way in that direction, our universe could not exist. Pastor Murphy... If evidence for for intelligent design is so strong, and even a young child can see it, why would scientists try and deny it? I have a quotation that is taken from a book uh, written by Ravi Zacharias, perhaps the chief proponent of um, um, Christian apologetics today. In essence, what they said, and you can read the book in uh, the book, uh, Can Man Live Without God by Ravi Zacharias. Uh, The Huxley brothers said that when we embrace evolution and we propagated evolution we knew what we were doing and basically we embrace evolution and propagated evolution because the idea of God interrupted our immoral lives and our desire for drugs so they had their ulterior motive was they didn't want accountability before God and it was a moral issue with them and they found that as long as you have God you have morality you have accountability and they had to get rid of God in order to live in moral lives and engage in all kinds of forms of drugs. So it eventually came out that that was the motivation force for it. But uh, the, the, the whole concept behind evolution and why people have embraced it, I personally think it is not a mental problem. I think it's a moral issue. Um, for example, in the Bible, in, in, in Psalms, uh, 14.1, I think, in Psalm 53, verse 1, the Bible says, The fool have said in his heart, there's no God. It's interesting that when you f- read the verse carefully, you understand the connection between the fool and morality. And after he said, The fool have said in his heart, there's no God, then he said, um, it goes on to say that there's none good, they all become corrupt. There's a connection between a man asserting that there's no God and his moral lifestyle. The problem is not mental, the problem is moral. Man is trying to get from under the burden and the responsibility of accountability before God. And by uh, positing a theory of evolution, that means now that man basically is accountable to no one. Man can live as he pleases. And I think substantially that's the motivation behind the evolutionary theory. You're listening to That's Truth. Nathan, may, may just, uh, Go ahead. just say something else um, for the audience and, and those who may not have access to certain literature and might not find time to do the, the level of reading that is sometimes required. Uh, think of the incredible size of our universe. It is just totally mind-boggling. Uh, our planet and our galaxy is called the Milky Way. It is estimated that between 100 billion to 400 billion stars is within our Milky Way. Now get this. The distance between two stars is roughly... 30 trillion miles. Now, can you fathom that? But not only that, our galaxy, we're told, have between 100 to 400 billion stars. We're also told that we now have 100 billion galaxies as well. Uh, This is why, by the way, 90% of all modern astronomers are believers. 
I didn't say natural sciences. I'm saying astronomers. They are awed at the greatness of the universe. David was too, was he not? When he said, what is man that thou art mindful of him when he looked at the universe? Yeah. It's just mind-boggling that this universe is so huge. And an insignificant speck called planet Earth is the center of God's purpose and God's plan and God's activity. It's just mind-boggling. I was reading that in one human cell, there is more complexity than any computer ever made by mankind. I mean, and we can't even see a cell with our naked eye. But, Pastor, how is it that a Christian scientist and a secular scientist can look at the exact same fossil or material and come up with completely different answers? Look, whether you are a creationist or whether you are an evolutionist, uh, behind creation and behind evolution are presuppositions. Uh, everything that we, we, we have premises that we make decisions and how we view things from different premises. There's no such thing as total objectivity. I, I've said that before in the program. The evolutionist, uh, he has certain presuppositions that he brings to bear upon any scientific information that he has. And, and that includes that there's no God. Everything happens by chance. You just need time, and it's random. Uh, there's no controlling force uh, and no personal force directing. That is, is his basic presuppositions. So once you assume those uh, presuppositions, you, that's the grid. Uh, that's the matrix that you look through. Everything that you see, you, you make a judgment based on that. The Christian, on the other hand, believes in a personal God, a God of intelligence, a God of order, a God that is organized, a God that is omnipotent. Uh, when he sees the same facts, as a matter of fact, uh, I hope we get to deal with this at some point in time, that I am not even sure if the public is aware of this, but those that laid the foundations for modern science were men of God and men that uh, believed in the scriptures. We have a question that came in from a listener in Antigua. Based on the creationist view, how old is the earth, and is there evidence in the Bible to support how old the earth is? There is some dispute about that, but generally speaking, uh, fundamentalists uh, believe, and I happen to be one of those that believe in a, uh, in a young earth. I don't think the, the, the earth uh, uh, went through an evolutionary process for billions and billions and billions of years. Uh, I believe in a little six days of creation. Um, I, I would, uh, if I had to give an estimate, uh, in my own view, uh, and by the way, the scientific data for this can be found in, in works written by John Morris, especially on the matter of the flood and, and creation, etc., etc. Uh, uh, Christians generally believe, those within the Orthodox faith and those within the evangelical realm, that the earth is between six and 10,000 years. Uh, it's certainly not older than that. Now, the dilemma, of course, that uh, is posed to Christians by scientists is that they have def different methods of dating. I, I hope we have another program on that because I, I want to, I would like to explain uh, to the audience how, in many cases, um, material that was supposed to be billions and billions, but it was, it was known, the known period of those, uh, the existence of that material was known, but yet it was st still shown to be millions of years old. There's something wrong with the system of, of dating. The other thing is that uh, God could have created this universe um, with maturity. Uh, he didn't have to start uh, from one cell. Uh, he could have created trees as they are, etc., uh, etc. Et and don't forget the, the, the flood. 
which is very significant when it comes to understanding scientific data, is that the ravages of the flood uh, and the power of the water of the flood uh, would help to explain some of what uh, scientists believe to be the age-old theory. But as a, as a, a Christian, I think within the confines of Scripture, uh, I, I think that we can, we can, we can uh, pretty much have an idea that certainly uh, not more than 10,000 years. You referenced the flood. Would you say the flood was local flood or a universal flood? Well, again, if you read the Scriptures uh, and you read the, the words of Christ himself and you read the writings of Peter, Clearly, this is a universal flood. There's no such thing as a local flood uh, in the Scripture. The Bible says all flesh was destroyed, and the, the height uh, of the water above the, the, the mountains uh, would clearly indicate that there was a universal flood. And for those who, um, who may think that only the Christian faith teaches about the flood, all ancient civilizations in their uh, different forms of tradition have the concept of a universal flood. As a matter of fact, years ago when I was in school, I had a Chinese gentleman who was a missionary to China, Taiwan, sorry, and he uh, he made a um, gave us some information that staggered me. That the Chinese word for boat, the Chinese boat word for boat, basically uh, is a boat with eight people in it. Uh, that's staggering, because that's what the flood is about. That eight people got saved. In the um, in the flood, but uh, is there not some kind of common uh, tradition that all nations and all people knew at one time, and then as the people were scattered apart across the world, that they carried this tradition? Eventually, of course, we know it became corrupted. But there is uh, in all ancient uh, nations the concept of a flood, a worldwide flood, not a not a local flood either. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. And the voice of the gentleman who is teaching and taking you back to Scripture is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor, you referenced the fact that the bulk of the early scientists in the modern era were Christians. Can you expound on that some? Yeah, I want to. I think the audience need to, should be aware. You know, sometimes I think believers feel intimidated, the we get the idea that um, people who hold to to the matter of Christian faith and believe in God that somehow we are ignoramuses, uh, uh, somehow we are not part of the intelligentsia or the conchinetti, uh, that we are uh, dodo birds and dummies, and, and I, I'm not too sure if people really understand where modern science came from. Modern science could never have come out of an evolutionary matrix. Uh, it is men of faith and men of, uh, of science, of faith, who believed there was a God who was an intelligent God, who was a rational God, a God of order. And they believed that if this God created man in his own image, man has reason, man has intelligence, man can think, uh, man can investigate. They really believe that if an intelligent God created this world and created man intelligently, there had to be laws and principles that govern the universe. So they were motivated uh, to find these laws and uh, to discover what were these particular laws that God had designed. In if they had believed in evolution, where it is just random chance, time plus chance, um, 
plus fortune, basically. That's what evolution is. Um, they would never pursue science because you could never believe that anything would have any laws if it's just handed randomly. Um, let me mention some of the names uh, of the great scientists that were all Christians. I'm thinking of Galileo, for example, the great astronomer and mathematician and physicist. Um, I'm thinking of Kepler, uh, uh, astronomer. You're talking about Blaise Pascal, mathematics, physics, and theology, the man that disco discovered hydraulics and the one to create the first adding machine. I'm thinking of men like Robert Boyle, uh, the father of chemistry. Uh, Louis Pasteur, um, who discovered about germs. And these were all Christians. All, all Christians. Isaac, Isaac Newton, uh, dynamics and the law of gravity. Michael Faraday, electromagnetic and the generator. Uh, Gregory, Gregoire Mendel, uh, genetics. We could spend considerable time talking about others. For example, Volta, uh, who discovered the concept of voltage and electricity. Uh, George Simon Ohms, we all familiar with Ohm's law in, in electricity. Uh, Andre Ampere, we are all familiar. That's the standard of, of knowing what the current is. Uh, George Washington Carver, the Black American, who is known as the father of modern agriculture, a man that produced 300 products from peanuts, including ink and soap. 100 products for sweet potato, flour, a shoe polish, and candy. I mean, you know, amazing. Uh, William uh, Kelvin. Uh, we all know about the absolute zero. He's the one that came up with that concept. We can talk about John Dalton, uh, the man behind the atomic theory. Jovis Presley, again, the man that discovered oxygen and um, hydrochloric acid along with nitrous oxide. Uh, the list, this is just a sample of the list. All of these are the great men that really laid uh, the foundation for modern science. We could have mentioned Roger Bacon, Francis Bacon, we could have mentioned William Ockham and Leonardo da Vinci, for example. You know him for his art, but he was a scientific genius. Do you have a book that you could recommend if anyone is interested? One of the great books that you can go online is uh, How Christianity Changed the World. Uh, I would recommend that any parent sending a child to college, a university, uh, that would be one of the books you would make sure you put in this bag. How Christianity, How changed, Christianity the changed the World. It, it talks about different... Um, aspects in, 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 in the world like science and education, medicine, law, um, um, psychology. You, you, you just, just talk about it, um, how it changed, um, even politics, uh, slavery, uh, a whole list of, of, of uh, changes that Christianity was able to bring about and the impact it's had on the world. We have a question coming from the United States via WhatsApp. Pastor Murphy, can you please talk about the importance of this topic, uh, creation and evolution, in relation to children's education? Um, let me say, because evolution has been generally accepted by the scientific community, uh, one of the great tragedies is that having captivated the modern mind, uh, it is now... Uh, and it has already infiltrated every form of academic discipline. The natural sciences, social sciences, philosophy, uh, educational theory, uh, even politics and religion. And the real tragedy of it, basically, is that uh, in our schools, especially the public school system in education, uh, since John Dewey with his progressive form of education, uh, evolution is now generally taught to children from a very, very early age. 
Um, this is a, a real tragedy because uh, nothing. Uh, you came out, you were just an uh, ape at some point in time. You came from some group of chemicals that form a soup and by strange electronic um, lightning, lightning, etc., you created this, this, this primordial soup and over years and years and years you just happened to develop. How can a child um, have dignity and value when you're told that you're here and there's no purpose to life, there's no meaning to life, the, the, the earth is going nowhere, uh, that has a profound effect on the concept of the child and I would say to you the morality the modern morality uh, should I put it another way the explanation for all the immorality that we have in this modern world behind it is the basic philosophy of evolution it, it has taken the fear of God and the concept of God out of the minds of men uh, where men no longer feel accountable they no, no longer feel there's anything absolute. No, there's no real absolute morality. Every man is autonomous. He can make his own decisions. That kind of philosophy has produced the world that we are currently living in. And we are headed to a massive catastrophe. And unless God intervenes, I don't know how else we're going to be saved. I came across this information. In fact, I didn't even realize this until today. In 2005, this is in the United States, the landmark legal case, Kitzmiller v. Dover in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, set binding precedent that the teaching of intelligent design in the United States public schools is unconstitutional because the idea is fundamentally religious and not scientific. When I read that today, it brought back to mind the fact that the world, the Christian worldview is constantly being bombarded by the secular worldview. Pastor Murphy, is it possible for, for science to coexist with the Bible, true science? There's no doubt about it that there's no conflict uh, between true science and, and the scriptures. Um, the problem that we have is today we have something that is pseudo-scientific, and that is what has created the clash uh, between uh, Christianity and the Bible. And For example, let me use some illustrations. The Bible tells us that the universe had a beginning. Modern science has now come to the conclusion, after so many years of denying it, that the world did have a beginning. Uh, the, the Bible says in Proverbs 8.23 and Isaiah chapter 40.23 that the earth is wrong, that God sits on the circle of the earth. Uh, that is a scientific fact. The Bible speaks of the fact that the earth is suspended in space in what we call gravity. Uh, Job chapter 26 verse number 7 talks about God hanging the earth on nothing. The Bible is also in harmony with the second law of thermodynamics which teaches that the universe is not going towards greater order, but is going to, to, greater, uh, to greatest, uh, greater disintegration. That's a scientific principle. Uh, and that is contrary to evolution, which is about evolving and becoming higher and higher and higher. Psalms 102, verse 25 and verse 26, talks about the earth is eventually going to wind down. Uh, so there are, there are things in the Bible the beginning of the universe, the earth is wrong, gravitation, love, second dynamics, um, even though it is not sp spoken in scientific language, uh, the principle there is in harmony with science. So there's no clash uh, between key 
scientific principles, real science and the Bible. By the way, if that were so, um, how then do you explain that all the great scientists that laid the foundation of modern science were Christians? The vast majority of them. Pastor, we're talking about creation and evolution. When were the angels created? Can we know that for sure? Um, we, we do know that the sons of God rejoiced in the book of Job uh, when they saw planet Earth being created. So we know that the angels were created before planet Earth. We know that. Um, but we are not told of any specific time when the angelic beings were created, but we know it preceded um, uh, the creation of man. Uh, I might add here that sin did not begin on Earth. It began in heaven. And then, of course, the adversary um, brought havoc to planet Earth. And I believe to some extent he was envious of man who was put in, the, in, in, in rulership of planet Earth. Remember that he was the anointed cherub and he was one of the, the, uh, the one that guarded the throne of God. And being demoted, and then I believe God creating man and, and giving man this exalted position. And I think out of pride and out of jealousy, really, he was moved by malice to cause man to fall. Unfortunately, of course, man listened to Satan rather than follow the dictates of, of God's word. So you would be holding to the view that the angels are created, man, the earth was created in six literal days, and then Satan fell after the earth was created? or No, Satan fell before the earth before was created. The earth yeah. okay. As a matter of fact, when you go to Isaiah 14, and there's another passage in Ezekiel, I don't remember the reference right now, where, Paul, where, 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 where the prophet talks about um, uh, Lucifer uh, uh, being in the Garden of Eden. And he's also talked about every stone was his covering, et cetera, et cetera. So it's clear that he um, brought his rebellion from the heavens to planet Earth and undermined man's authority and man's standing in relationship with God and, and brought the fall. You're listening to That's Truth. Nathan, could I mention two other things I think are vitally important in respect to this subject? Uh, one has to do with the, the dishonesty of the scientific community in regards to um, this matter of evolution. Uh, I want to just mention three examples very quickly. Uh, they have always c talked about ancient man and ancient man being uh, old, and they've created these mock images of our proposed ancestors. But I am not too sure if the audience is aware that a lot of these were fakes. Take the Nebraska, the, the Nebraska man. They created an entire human out of a single tooth. And uh, in 1917, when this single tooth was discovered, it, it became the firm evidence, they said, that of human evolution. Just one tooth. This was actually used in the Scopes trial in America. I don't know if you remember the Scopes trial in America. I remember hearing uh, with about Jennings, the, uh, the The gentleman Jennings. Uh, it was later discovered, by the way, that this tooth was a pig's tooth. But they never retracted it. And if you go to some uh, scientific books and some uh, encyclopedias, the Nebraska man is there. But there's no Nebraska man. He was just, the entire Nebraska deception was formed from a single pig's tooth. And now, even though it has been discovered that it was a pig's tooth, they still have not retracted it from a lot of these books. Take the Piltdung Man, a fossil that was discovered in, in, in 1912 in Sussex, England. 
it was created out of th three three parts: a human skull, uh, a, a jawbone of an orogantum, and a chimpanzee's teeth. It was found uh, for forty years. By the way, the scientific community claimed that this was proof that man had evolved. And then in 1953, it was discovered that it was an outright forgery. But they haven't removed it. It is still in the scientific books. This is bland, corrupt dishonesty. Uh, the other one is the Java Man, uh, where it was formed from three bones, the skull cap, a femur bone, and one tooth. It was discovered in 1981 in a solar river of Java, in Java. Uh, it was found... These three different parts were found 50 feet apart, yet they went ahead and created this Java man, and they call him Homo erectus, the right man. It's still in the scientific books, still in the, in the Encyclopedia Britannica and all those different things. The dishonesty is so um, blatant. Uh, one wonders where does scientific credibility lie any longer? Even though they know that these things are not true, yet they peddle them off on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the public and especially in the school books of biology, etc., etc. Uh, there is a conspiracy against biblical truth, against God, against scripture, and the scientific community is a large part of that. How, do you, how do you even call that science to blatantly make something up and then when it's proven wrong then leave it in a textbook as science. It goes back to what I call the schizophrenic age, where we can hold two opposites, and uh, it's so irrational to hold these positions. But again, um, if scientists were honest, um, a lot of these things could be clarified. But when you've put all your eggs in one basket and you've leaned in one particular ideology, and you've been teaching this for many, many years, it becomes very difficult now to change in a different direction. So you keep peddling the same thing, even though the evidence is clearly against it. The other thing I want to make a comment about, uh, about Nathan, is the fact that evolutionary theory has infiltrated the discipline of psychology. Freud was an atheist. Skinner, uh, who started behaviorism, was also an atheist. All of these uh, schools of psychology are based on a false anthropology. And therefore, I would say to those people who are Christians who are seeking help, psycho uh, help at psychologists, etc., etc., try to understand the presuppositions behind the particular uh, psychological theory that these people hold. If you start off wrong about man, if you don't believe that man was created, that man has a soul, that the problem with man fundamentally is man's sin, that man has a sinful nature, that is his drives and his corrupt... Um, uh, desires that pushes him to do wrong. That the problem with man, fundamentally, as Jesus said, is his heart. Out of the heart comes these things. The psychologist can offer you no real help with your common problems, ordinary problems. I'm not talking abnormal problems now, but clearly you have to be very careful when you turn to a psychologist for help, because the principles that govern uh, both these schools, the Freudian school and the behavior school, are rooted in the evolutionary theory. I'm starting to notice a trend. Every topic that we've discussed on That's Truth, it's come back to if you misinterpret Scripture, if you try and twist Scripture for your own purposes, you end up headed down a path which gets you further and further away from truth, that the Bible is the one source of truth. If you have any questions, go ahead and send them in. We've got about 15 minutes left in the program. 
You can send, you can call us at 268-462-7420, or you can send us a question at 268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, let's spend some time talking about how do we argue against evolution well, the, the best way to argue with an evolutionist, I mean, we could quote scripture, but that's not going to appeal to an evolutionist. Uh, what we have to do is to look at what are the true scientific facts. Um, understand that evolution is against both laws of thermodynamics. Understand what those laws are. Understand why evolution contradicts those laws. Understand that evolution is also against the law of causality. A scientist is always driven by the idea that every effect has a cause until evolution came into effect, and then they have forgotten that uh, the universe must have a cause, and uh, it's an effect, the universe is an effect, and that cause must be sufficient to produce the effect. Uh, I will also remind you of, uh, especially in the area of biology, um, there's a law called irreducible complexity, uh, that uh, I, in other words, Take the take a, a mouse trap for example. Every single element of a mouse trap must be in place for it to operate. Uh, take the human eye as an example. Uh, the human eye just could not evolve uh, as it is. Um, so that particular law of irreducible complexity. Uh, there are certain basic things. Uh, you need certain amino acids in a particular order within the cell for it to function. Um, those that, that um, have scientific books, uh, they're very, very good Christian um, books that you can read that would help you. The, the one that I would recommend at this time is the one called Twilight of Evolution by John Morrison. That is not a heavy uh, volume, but it, it contains in a condensed form an enormous amount of material that will give you ammunition uh, against um, the evolutionary theory. Um, there are others that uh, on apologetics that are very, very useful. Z- uh, Ravi Zacharias, I would recommend any book by him. Pastor, we have a listener in Antigua that would like to know, if evolution is not true, where did the races come from? Well, again, when you go back to Genesis, it explains to you the origin of the races. Uh, and it is from the account of the flood that out of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that is where you get the three cardinal race groups. Um, the um, Shem, Shemites, and the uh, Jephethites, and the um, Hamites. Uh, those are the three, the Hamites basically, uh, the Hamitic tribe basically, a group from uh, what you call, what we call the African. The Semitic kind what we call the Orient or Occidental. And then, of course, you've got the what you call the the Occidental. Sorry, is the Jefeth, uh, and then the ones the what you call the Oriental are from the Shemites. So the three distinct groups, what you want to call them, white, black, and yellow, basically stem from the three sons of Adam. Three sons of Adam. No, I'm sorry. Noah. I'm sorry. Yeah. After the flood, when the the races was scat- the, the, the they were scattered onto the uttermost parts of the earth, and one went. European side, one went the African side, and one, uh, one group went uh, the Eastern side. That's the biblical explanation for the races. If we take Genesis literally, then where did Cain get his wife from? 
Look, if you uh, read the account of, of, of Cain and uh, the story, uh, you'll read later on. I wish I had more time to deal with this and, and get you the verses, etc. But you'll find that um, Cain would have married one of his sisters, one of his nieces, or one of his, one of his cousins, because Adam had daughters as well as sons. Uh, that is the, the explanation. But again, it, it requires some verses, it requires uh, a little bit more discussion, and maybe I'd like to pick that up another time to do, deal with that in more detail. But uh, And the other thing is that there's a lot of full treatment that needs to be understood when it comes to interpreting the Bible. In other words, when the Bible is dealing with a particular character, it tells you its entire history in a very short space of time. It doesn't tell you what are the intervening events. Uh, when it's dealing with Cain, it covers the entire life of Cain in a very short span. It doesn't tell you what took place between them. Uh, so that principle has to come into place to understand um, who Cain's wife was. Why is it so important that we take Genesis literal? All the basic fundamental seed doctrines of the Bible are found <coughs> in Genesis. For example, if you don't take Genesis li uh, literally, we have to find out where did man come from? Not only that, we've got to ask the question, why is man here? What's his purpose? Is there a destiny to man? Um, uh, so if we don't take Genesis literally, we have no answer to the issue of the universe, the issue of, of life, of man, of the future. Uh, all of that is lost. If we, we're le just left the conjecture and speculation, uh, we have nothing definite in terms of um, what, are, what are absolute truths in relation to man, his life and destiny. So it, it's crucial that we hold to the book of Genesis. I want to tie this topic back to a previous topic and that of abortion. Would you agree with the statement that if you hold to a worldview that openly accepts evolution, that it is much easier to justify abortion? Without question. Without question. I mean, that is so obvious. Uh, that's a given. Uh, and this is where I said, I said a, a moment ago that one of the profound effects evolution has had on, on modern life is the deterioration of morals. If you do not believe in a God, if you do not believe that you are created with a purpose, if you don't believe that you have dignity, uh, it is very, very easy to be, believe that you are autonomous, you can do what you want, you can live as you please, you can mess up people's lives as you, as, uh, without thinking about the consequences. And that has been one of the great uh, detrimental effects to this doctrine of evolution. Uh, Nathan, I wanted to say one other thing quickly. That has to do with the fact that evolution has actually impacted the church as well. All of the major denominations uh, have uh, pretty much given in to the theory of evolution. Uh, and that is one of the saddest things about the modern church. Um, what they have done as a result of that is that they've had to now come up with a new system of interpretation. And rather than applying the, what is called the historical grammatical method of interpreting, the literal method, they now have to allegorize the account in Genesis. Uh, it's no longer seen as literal. Now, when you do that, uh, you also have to surrender the concept of the fall. Did man fall? Uh, when you surrender the fall, you've surrendered the atonement of Jesus Christ. So it's not, it's not uh, insignificant when churches have embraced evolution. They've actually destroyed the Christian faith. Christianity is incompatible with evolution. The two cannot coexist at the same time. What about theistic evolution? Well, theistic evolution is an act of compromise. It is how can you gain the best of both worlds? 
how can you hold to God and hold to evolution at the same time? Right? It's a compromise. Uh, it is the doctrine basically that God created uh, the world through the process of evolution. But again, there is no biblical basis for that teaching. Then how do you explain, uh, if that is true, that death occurred before sin? Death is a result of sin. But if you believe in the, uh, the gradual development of man, you have uh, things dying before they actually became fully man. But the Bible makes it quite clear that death is a result of sin. So the whole doctrine of sin, now you have to surrender. Where does it end? What Christians should have done a long time ago, and they're now going to pay the price for it as intelligent design begin to dominate the world scene, uh, they're going to have to retract a lot of what they believed before to the detriment of the Christian faith. But they should have taken a stand against this, this false uh, mythological science, and they should have held to Scripture. But the problem is if we have loose views of Scripture, and that brings me to the other thing, they had to surrender a high view of inspiration, that the Bible is infallible, it's God's Word. Uh, so the church has been surrendering and surrendering and surrendering in order to be considered intellectual and smart and bright and intelligent and not to be obscurantist. And as a result of that, we surrender some of the major doctrines of the Christian faith and has hurt the church, uh, and we're still paying a price for it. Pastor Murphy, real quickly, if human sin is why animals die, why can animals not be saved? The Bible teaches that Christ came to save men. It talks nothing about Christ coming to save the animals. But we do know that during the Millennial Kingdom, uh, that this whole world will be transformed, and we do know that animal life will, will prosper, and uh, we will enter what is called an idyllic paradise for a thousand years. But the emphasis on Scripture is not about the salvation of animals, dogs, and our cats. It's about the salvation of man. Thank you for that answer. Make sure that you tune in next week. We're going to be covering the topic of how Christianity has elevated women through the times, through the different ages. Thanks again for your interaction. Be sure you tune in next week. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.